Oh, oh, one more thing. Yes, Just One More Thing, a podcast all about Columbo. I'm John Morris. And I'm R.J. White. This time we're talking about Ransom for a Dead Man. Originally broadcast March 1st, 1971, written by Dean Hargrove with Richard Levinson and William Link, directed by Richard Irving, and starring Lee Grant, John Fink, Harold Gould, Patricia Maddock, and Peter Falk as Columbo. And every episode of the podcast, we are joined by a special guest to help us discuss Columbo. This time around, we've got two. We're being joined by auto journalist Jim from Detroit, covers the auto industry up in Michigan. And we are also joined by retired public defender and author of the long-running legal analysis column, The Law is a Ass, (laughs) currently residing over on ComicMix.com, Bob Ingersoll. But before we bring them on, RJ, I totally neglected to come up with a cute intro for this, so tell us what happened in the episode. What happens when a high-powered attorney gets a hold of a low-powered pistol? Well, you end up shot through the heart and leave Grant's to blame. Grant plays Leslie Williams, a lawyer who's so fed up their husband being, I guess just dull and ice, that she murders him, just as he's shuffling through junk mail. On top of this, she stages a phony kidnapping to cover up the killing, fooling the feds with Professor Frank's AT5000 autodialer. But the convoluted (laughs) plan... Somehow involving a mummy money drop by airplane, I guess? Can't fool Lieutenant Columbo, who's schooled in the art of human emotion and sees right through her plot. With the help of the dead man's boarding school daughter, Columbo needles and parries and gets his way under the attorney's skin until she makes the final mistake that all murderers do, thinking they have the better of the lieutenant. Thank you for coming on the show. Welcome to the program. Uh, yeah, we don't often have two guests, so it's, it's a little... Uh... Unless they're married. Yeah. That's right, unless <laughs> unless they're married. <laughs> or at least engaged to be married. But yeah. yes, unless they're married. So, uh, Bob and Jim, thank you for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. And well, me. Well, I, I, I want to ask, uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with uh, Bob and then, and then to Jim. Um, Bob, how did you come to Columbo, as it were, what's your history with uh, watching the show and the character and whatnot? Uh, I came to Columbo by not being allowed to watch it. Actually. Oh, <laughs> interesting. How? Okay. Go. Yeah, please. What does that the mean? The very, very first episode, Prescription Murder, was on, on a school night. And back then, I was not allowed to watch television on school nights, because I had to do my homework. And uh, But my father was watching it. I'd walk through the living room as, as often as I could to watch this thing, and I'd ask him how it was, and he liked it. A lot. He liked it a lot, and told me about it, and it sounded interesting to me. So I made sure I watched Ransom for a Dead Man when it came on. I don't it, now. It, it, it looks like it was also on on a school night because I've checked that date was a uh, was a Monday. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I watched it live because by then I was a senior, and maybe I was in my senior project, mm-hmm. or um, or maybe I caught it on a rerun. But I definitely watched Ransom for a, a, a Dead Man. Uh, b- uh, before any of the uh, episodes of the uh, of the uh, Umbrella series started, yeah, because I think this, yeah, the um, two for the show, Prescription Murders in '68. This aired in '71. I think the actual series started airing when '72, '73. The first episode. I looked it up is... last night. September of '71. Oh, okay. So it wasn't. Oh, so it was like a few months after this. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. So this is like an Murder... odd kind of second pilot. In a way, which was interesting, yeah. 
Yeah, very much was. I'll jump in here with a little bit of trivia. Uh, because Columbo was such a completely different detective idea, uh, NBC didn't want to commit, even though the prescription murder ratings were exceptional. Weird. So they needed the second one to convince them. NBC, uh, they, they kind of had problems for a long time in the 1970s, so maybe they weren't so, <laughs> they, they weren't so uh, quick in the ball to pick up things. Uh, Jim, how did you first come to Columbo? How did you discover the show, and what's your history with it? Uh, well, I apparently started watching Columbo when I was eight years old. I you know, wow. remember watching it as a kid on Sunday night, back when they had that whole wheel mm-hmm. with um, uh, McMillan and wife and uh, McLeod, and later Heck Ramsey and McCoy and Quincy. It shows you, you know, what I do on my Sunday nights. <laughs> and I just remember uh, knowing these things and... Uh, seeing these shows years later and said, wait a minute, I remember this. I remember this from when I was a little kid when it was on prime time. So I was just apparently watching Columbo since I was eight years old. Why my parents let me watch a show about a violent murder when <laughs> I was eight is beyond me, but I'm grateful. They were trained. It was them. the 70s, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, I just uh, to say, like, uh, when I was a kid, um, I would watch it Sunday mornings on Channel 4 out of Detroit. My parents were completely fine with that because they would rerun it on WDIV. Every single yeah. Sunday morning, they ran yeah the entire NBC Mystery Wheel, and so yeah, it, it doesn't mess you up as a kid. You learn things, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're actually never violent murders. No, really. Well, the one we talked about last time was probably the most like the uh, the um, how to dial a murder was probably the worst one of those. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Apparently, part of the reason that the murder is done so arty here, and you kind of think perhaps why there's so many like the the uh, well, what is it called? Death Lends a Hand, the first Robert Culp episode. Right. Also has a super arty murder where you don't actually vis- uh, visibly see it. It's because the one thing NBC didn't like was the graphic strangulation scene in Prescription Murder. Oh, that makes <clears throat> sense. Aha, okay. links. Yeah, I read that in the Columbo file myself. I have the book right in front of me, <laughs> just for reference. Nice. God, he's going to keep us running, RJ. He's going to keep us acting tough. Well, I mean, I, I also I wondered about this because it's the the way it was structured, the way the credits were, were not like a Columbo episode because I mean it was still kind of pre-Columbo days. Um, was this ever sort of released or distributed as an actual film, or was it just done as a TV movie? Because it seemed it was a- the front and back seemed a lot like it was done as a film to be put out there. Try to make extra money from it in case the TV thing didn't pan out. To me, well, it was done as a it was made as a made for TV movie, but a lot of the made for TV movies of the sixties and seventies did air theatrically in foreign countries. Ah, uh, okay, okay, because it, it seemed weird to me to like to think of the idea of going into a theater and sitting in the theater and seeing a Columbo episode. It just seems so bizarre to me. But then I thought, like, well, yeah, but back then you wouldn't know it's supposed to be quote unquote Columbo. But you kind of want to, too, a mystery don't you? Fil- yeah, it would just be a mystery film starring Peter Falk is what it would be. So it kind of would work that way. Oh, yeah. Actually, to Bob's point, I actually seem to remember now there are Eastern European and Mediterranean posters Oh, you see those in the sometimes. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. So That's a fair point. So there's a whole bunch of uh, other places in the world where this is a series of movies you'd go right. and see in the theater, which that's kind of fascinating to me. Like the whole idea of that. They used to repack it. Kind of like the old Sherlock Holmes movies. Those were released in theaters, but you again sort of watch them on Sunday morning on some obscure cable channel. Right. You know, <laughs> and they made a dozen of them in like four years. But yeah. they were movies you went to the movie theater for. 
And and this one, uh, the way it's directed, the way it's written, actually, I think it's pretty good. It lends itself to being sort of a film, especially the editing and the direction of it. Uh, visually, they did do a lot of kind of uh, trying to fancy pants it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's a technical term, fancy pantsing it up. Sure. Oh, you and your Hollywood jargon. Oh. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I know. I gotta, I gotta get away from that. RJ and his glamour town Inside talk. baseball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, the number one reason I'm so well, besides being a fan of his column, the number one reason I'm excited to have Bob on the show is right. as a retired public defender, you are in a unique position to actually give us some feedback on the legalities of your average Colombo case. But before we start, right. how much do you hate Lee Grant's lawyer character? <laughs> uh, I don't hate Lee Grant's lawyer character any more than I hate many lawyer characters. <laughs> <laughs> look, That's a good way to look put it. Ep- look at any episode of Law & Order. Right. The, law- the defense attorney is always scum incarnate. Right. Um, was she was she a defense attorney or she? Yeah, was, she, was. she was. No, she, she was. She no, was that's right. You're like right. A, she's defending like a slumlords with the, the broken staircases yeah. in their apartment well, buildings. It was a civil suit. Uh, uh, the slumlord was being sued for an injury. Uh, it, was, it was it was a civil suit. Uh, she, uh, but her, her firm was her firm was large enough that she probably didn't do a lot of criminal defense work. Most large firms don't. Uh, hmm. With the exception of sometimes if some of the big, uh, rich clients have children who get in trouble, which is not uncommon at all. Uh, <laughs> they will, they will <laughs> in 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 uh, in criminal cases, but they don't they don't go out of their way to uh, represent um, uh, you know just your standard um, uh, criminal criminal. They'll, they'll mostly represent white collar crime. Oh, uh, sure. And, and it seemed very much like <clears throat> the, just the way their office looked. The fact that. Her partner slash husband, the firm, had left a position on the California Supreme Court to do that. It seems like, yeah, it would be they'd be take more of like the big white collar crime cases more than anything else than oh, sort of like a, advertising on the bus kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> these they seem like a you know they had a fairly decent sized client, I suppose. But the the thing about the court scenes we see her in is it seemed like there was an effort at the beginning to make it seem like she was a principled person who, you know, was just abiding by her responsibility as a lawyer because she does turn around to the building owner and snap at them about if, you know, even though she wins by implying that the, the, uh, uh, plaintiff? I don't know these terms. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> this is ner- yeah. it's nerve wracking to be doing this in front of a guy who knows the law. Um, <laughs> but uh, she turns around to the to her client and says, "You know, next time light it or somebody's going to die." And she sounds really kind of angry at them. And then she is the least principled human being in the universe. Right? Yeah, because she well, murders I... someone. Because she <laughs> murders someone in cold blood and tries to and, light it and... with a. Fucking kidnapping. So yes, you're right. And she's well, I want to point out that I'm sorry, but when she dis, um, tears down the the, the defend uh, the, uh, the the witness, she says, "Have you ever been on welfare before?" You know, and he's a guy who hurt his back because he fell down the stairs and is on unemployment, and that's not welfare. Right. And he's sort of playing the race card and playing up to the jury's prejudices, and immediately gets slapped down by the judge. But 
he immediately paints this guy as just some ne'er-do-well welfare bum right, who's just yeah. scamming the she, system. She is not a nice person. No. Right. She yeah. could have said, how many drinks did you have? Of course you fell down the stairs. You had three drinks. I can prove that. You know, that's, you know, cricket as it were. But saying, have you been on welfare, you drunken bum? You know, so right, I don't yeah. think she was very nice. Right. No. No, she, she, she's not. I didn't see. She, she was caught because for, she was caught because she didn't have a conscience. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Yes. Which is a really good, like, I, very rarely do Columbo episodes have what I might call a moral, but that one certainly does. Oh, yeah, definitely, yes. Yeah, for sure. I, and, and, and actually, I think, I, um, going back to the kind of idea of this being a sort of an interim sort of pilot, it, it, it's really interesting to have seen um, Prescription Murder, where the basic elements of the character and what he does are there to then this it's Peter Falk and the producers filling in the weird little idiosyncrasies of the character, Mm -hmm. the sloppiness, the way he kind of draws people out, uh, the way he kind of lies about family members, all that sort of thing to see that kind of in this, but it's still not exactly fully baked in the oven yet. It but is it's, interesting it's, to it's see it. a huge leap between the final series and that very, very early form of him playing the character. Well, we yeah. do see him beginning. He's lost his pen on the outside, and he's looking for it, and she sort right. of is amused. Yeah. And so we can get a flashlight and everything, and, oh, you know, I'll get another pen and things like that. And I was thinking about that. Did he actually lose it? Oh, he had to. He didn't have any suspicions. But uh, in the Columbo file, which I just mentioned, Peter Falk said he thought that was very funny. That was funny, but it wasn't humor for humor's sake, which is something that I think plagued the show later on. But Right, but I, but I think it's a thing, because it was like uh, yeah, 68 to 71, uh, he actually had worked with probably Levinson and Link to figure out like a lot more of the specifics of this character and what it was going to be if it got picked up into a series and just, you know, the messed up hair, the clothes mm-hmm. being a lot sloppier even uh, than they were in prescription murder. And just a lot of his sort of like nervousness, nervousness and ticks and whatnot. I mean, I, I think it, it, it's, it's just interesting to see this weird sort of halfway evolution of the character that then we got to know uh, mm-hmm. through the actual final series. It's don't a big forget. jump from Prescription Murder, which is yeah. fascinating. Don't, don't forget, Prescription Murder was actually based on the play, um, right? Uh, based on a play in which, but, but when it was a play, <clears throat> play actually uh, top billed Joseph Cotton as the right. murderer, as the psychologist. Um, Thomas Mitchell was was the second billed character. Right, Uncle so Billy. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the play, so the play is supposed to is supposed to be about the psychiatrist, not the detective, but. As the but as the play went on when it was produced, I, I think it was out in San Diego. There was a global character that was you know that was catching the audience's uh, attention and um, and uh, approval. So they they decided to make to make the movie and they up and they upped Columbo's part of it for the the TV movie Prescription Murder. But it's still based on a vehicle for the psychiatric character. Yeah, I know. It's 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 just fascinating that whole weird evolution of it, and it didn't necessarily start out that way. But they happened to get the right guy to play it for the TV version, who then (laughs) just kind of put it through to actually make it something you actually want to watch. Yeah. What Crosby? Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's right. (laughs) Oh my god, I I can't. I I think about that sometimes, and I cannot imagine what the heck that would have been like with him at all. I don't. 
no, because Bing Crosby, Bing Crosby trying to do Peter Falk's Columbo, he would have come off as smarmy. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, it just would yeah. not have worked. I mean, Ben Crosby, I uh, love him. Great guy. Well, except to Gary. But yeah, good guy. But um, yeah, it, it's you cannot imagine him playing that character at all. It, it, no. it's, it, it's so odd that it's like, it was just one of the most perfect uh, meldings of character and actor in probably yeah. television history. Yeah. This is this is the oh, guy yeah. who had to play. Guys, this part. we are we are oh. overlooking Dirk Benedict currently playing That's the right. role in Wales. <laughs> that was in the back of my head. I almost said it. And I felt like, no, we don't need that. We don't need that pain. Yes, that's I right. Overlook Dirk Benedict any chance I get. No, um, <laughs> I would. I one hundred percent want to see this. There's I, a chance I, that there will be a Columbo Con in London, or they're talking about it. Well, no, not and London, I, like here in New York, in New York State. I've heard. I've heard one. both London and New York. I've heard a New York State one sometime next year, possibly. Uh, the folks Still, who did, recently did the. Um, uh, Columbo biography that came out. The guy, those uh, those fellows, are trying to set something up uh, around his hometown in New York State. Ah, which Austin? I'm I'm free for a panel. John and I, we'll, we'll fly <laughs> out. Sure, I'll fly out. I love myself in New York. Yeah, sure. Why not? Sure. But uh, I had heard there was an attempt to get one put in London, and if they do, I hope that that Benedict is still playing Columbo in Wales because I will make the drive. Well, the thing is, I I wonder if, if Dirk Benedict. I have not seen any. I mean, there's just this odd trailer on the internet. Is he just doing mm-hmm. a Peter Falk impression the entire time, or is he actually just playing it as an actor and he's just doing it? I'm going to I've assume... seen the trailer too, and it looks like he's doing a Peter Falk imitation. Well, that's ridiculous then. Every review I've seen uh, calls him charming and honest. So uh, whatever that means. Okay. Well, we all know that the Welsh uh, theater critics are the most discerning in, in the world, <laughs> so that's, that's right. good. Sure. Oh, I'm sure they're fine. The Welsh. Oh, they don't listen to this. We're not, we're not, we're not speaking in some weird language. I know. I, I got my brother-in-law lives there, so I can say things about it. I got, yeah, I got I a free pass. I don't know. Is that how that works? Yeah, I guess so. No, probably not. Oh man, I screwed us out of like fifteen listeners. Oh, man. I feel terrible. But they, they pronounce Columbo Columbo with yeah, like exactly. two D's. So. <laughs> yeah, two D's. Yes. Oh. Anyway. Gosh. Yes. So, um, this episode, uh, we should probably actually talk about it, not just the, the mm-hmm. fact they're being like a pro. Well, no, what? No? Mm-hmm. Well, what, what okay. are you Well, no, actually, it might be more Bob, what are you up to these days? <laughs> <laughs> no, just keep going. Sorry. No, Put but I mean, um, this episode is so uh, peculiar in that um, the, the murderer, and I mean, of course, Every Columbo episode, the murderer is unlikable because they're killing someone. But sometimes you see, like, oh, you see their point, whatever. This one, at no point do you ever feel any sort of sympathy for the killer at all. She is uh, pretty much a flat-out sociopath. And she mm-hmm. is just not a good person. You're rooting for her the entire time to get uh, to get caught. She's a terrible person. It's also, person. I think, like the quickest murder ever. It's, honey, I'm home, bam. Yes, uh, yeah. The only thing I can think of any close to that was the Ross Martin one where he just shoots his uncle who's playing the piano. And that's something they got oh. away with, got away from, which I think is good. You at least get to know the victim a little bit. No, right. this is a this person. One, there is, like, you find out about, more about this guy in retrospect, but it just makes you dislike her even more. <laughs> and that her main motive was she was bored with him. And wanted the money, and that's it, pretty much. 
But yeah, I, I always got the impression that main, her main motive was basically she wanted to use them, and now she'd finally use them. She got what she wanted out of them, and so I don't need them anymore. Yeah, and just, just didn't care, and just was going to shoot him point blank, and that's it. Done. You know, regardless of the lack of sympathy we have for the killer, uh, to be fair, I think probably we don't have any sympathy for the daughter either. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, arguably, we don't even know she exists to like half hour into the movie and right. she just comes out of left field, which yes. I kind of say is a weakness. You should set something up a little bit so we know that this character exists or something. Right, you have no idea that he has any... You've heard nothing about his life previous to uh, Lee Grant at all. Like, perhaps there was some a wife who had died. He'd had one or more children with her. Like, no, you have no idea until she's like, oh, I'm in from my boarding school in Zurich. And... Now I'm just going to kind of act badly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> act act badly is an interesting way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, she She's meant, like, she does play unhinged, which I will give her the stress of the situation might have pushed her to. But she definitely comes off as more of a brat than an avenging child. Right. Even, even at the you point, <clears throat> even at the point towards the end where Columbo enlists her, which mm-hmm. is one of the more questionable Columbo moves. Uh, from the series, but even when he's enlisting her to try to um, uh, put the uh, stepmother on edge, she still doesn't play it very well. Yeah, it, it's that weird, more brat thing than yeah. I, I want. I love my father, and I want to make sure you go down for murdering him. You don't get that feeling at all. It just kind of. Like, I do. I'm just doing this. Eh. I want to give Columbo a little credit and give her some credit too, and say that. She has such a contentious relationship with her stepmother that actually getting to nail her to the wall for something as serious as a murder might actually be more appealing to her than avenging her father. And that's oh. why Columbo uses her. Oh. That's she, a good way to look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she had been if she had been less of a pain in the ass, I don't think he would have done all the things he did to her. But because she was oh. being driven by pettiness. Yeah. Now, that's Not a good point. Not to mention, after Columbo enlists her, now she's got to be playing the person who's not interested in avenging his uh, her father, but wants her share of the money, and then she'll get out of Lee, uh, Lee Grant's hair. Right. Very good point. That's, right. Yeah. 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 Play. Otherwise, otherwise the whole the whole uh, ploy doesn't work. Now that being said, she does chase her mom around the house with a gun. Right. <laughs> so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and which. And we also have Columbo uh, sending a teenager in to intentionally provoke a woman right. with no kind of murderer. <laughs> right, yes, that's that's a little questionable also. It's not it's not so of Columbo's best judgment in this episode with that whole thing. It's child endangerment level. Yes, exactly. Yes. Oh my god, it's it's, just, it's... I guess Bob, that's a question that comes up for us quite a bit on the show is how many laws did Columbo break this episode? This episode, uh, well, one one's a, one's not a law, but he, but I think I think he could have he well he could have been guilty of child endangerment. Mm-hmm. He also definitely conducted an illegal search. The fact that he didn't find anything doesn't matter. He conducted an illegal search because the first thing he does after the supposed airdrop, oh, the locker, is, yes, breaks yeah. into it because he suspects that she never really dropped the money. Why? Because why would the why would the, the people who or holding uh, the, the the lawyer for ransom, uh, just take the money out of the bag. Why not take the bag and run? So he right. suspects him. 
first thing he does is he goes and searches her lock. He has to pick the lock. Yes! He goes to, lock, uh, to, to see if the, if the bag might be in there, which it's not. So the fact that he found nothing uh, doesn't mean that it wasn't an illegal search. It mm-hmm. wasn't an illegal search. And I've often wondered, if he had found something, how, could, how would the case have proceeded? Because technically, if he finds something, is, what he's, is everything that he does after that point um, playing off of, the, of, of his discovery from the illegal search? And is, it, is thus his entire case ruined by being fruit of the poisonous tree? Right. Ah, I love that yeah, phrase. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I was so hoping you would say fruit of the poisonous tree. <laughs> no, I thought about that. It reminds me of the situation in the Sky High Club where Columbo accidentally takes the wrong umbrella. And he returns it the next day, and he says, well, I found these powder burns that would support my theory, but we're not allowed to get evidence that way. So here's your umbrella back. You know, and that's, again, mm-hmm. Columbo gains and I know you're guilty. You know I know you're guilty. But I think Columbo was just sort of looking for something to confirm his theory and would not have used that evidence because he's an ethical person. Yeah, but, but he's still broke into a locker, right? Right, yeah. But, but yeah, but that Sky, that Sky High murder case, that, I'm sorry, that's... That is the stupidest genius murder I've ever seen. To fall <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. I agree oh, with you 100 percent. That way, genius did it this way. Oops. <laughs> right. Well, actually, yeah, Bob, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I bring this up. Can you think offhand uh, one of the things like what what is maybe perhaps a very, very egregious uh, breach of things that just would not have washed in court that Columbo has done over? Uh, the course of the series that you can recall. Well, the 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 one I can think of that's most egregious, although his case his case might still have stood, but is uh, murder smoke and or rather, what is it? Murder smoke. Murder smoke and yeah, murders. yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah. the column you wrote in Comic Buyer's Guide that I remembered. Right. Yeah. Murder smoke and mirrors. Where where basically uh, he's he suspects Steven Spielberg because I don't yes. remember the <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't remember the actual name of the director's character in that. But movie. no, that's all. That's who it was. Yeah, pretty much. He Steven Spielberg of committing a murder. He, he with with Steven Spielberg's permission, he visits Steven Spielberg in his bungalow on <laughs> on, on Universal Studios. Yeah. On, and well, I've got to go meet somebody, but you can stay here if you want. Um. Uh, he doesn't tell Columbo. You can stay here and and proceed to search my bungalow. He just I says, know what. He, I think he has a milk Columbo's a milkshake or something. Yes, like that. yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I got a milkshake. Oh. He was a stay milkshake, and Columbo then proceeds to search the thing and finds the he finds the uh, the, the the key evidence that he needs. The fact that um, he finds the uh, the tour ticket that the the murder victim had to prove that he was on the lot earlier than than Steven Spielberg claimed. Now, Columbo actually never in, introduces that ticket per se. He, he that's just what he uses to know. That to prove to himself that Spielberg was the murderer, then he proceeds to get other evidence against the guy, uh, so that ultimately he might have been able to induce that ticket because ultimately, based on what he got from uh, other other stuff he got, he might have been able to then search that place with a search warrant and actually find it, and thus it would be uh, admissible as inevitable discovery. But that was that was a pretty that that along with searching the locker, which I'd forgotten that he had done until I rewatched the episode for. Uh, for this podcast are two of the most egregious things he did from a legal point of view. Because you asked, for example, was what he did uh, was, is what, was what he did with Margaret entrapment. Yeah, oh, that was my right. question. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not entrapment because <clears throat> what entrapment is, is um, you, you set up a situation where a person is, is going to commit a crime. 
So she had already committed the murder. She had already committed the fake kidnapping. She already had the money. Mm-hmm. All he was doing was forcing her to use it. So okay. If so, so all he was doing was, was forcing her to use it. So he didn't entrap her into committing those crimes. If, if there was any, if there was anything, uh, any crime for which he could, uh, he could have been said it was entrapment. Is if they also wanted to prosecute Lee Grant for attempting to bribe a witness, then maybe you could say he entrapped her into doing that. Oh. To bother uh, prosecuting her for that. Okay. It won't, it won't. Oh, nice. I mean, see, this is—it's—it's it's great having you on to actually talk about this because there have been so many times where we've talked about. Yeah, would that hold up later on? I—I I know one uh, yep. that we definitely talked. We've brought up multiple times is the first uh, George Hamilton episode uh, with the twin brother. Right. Um, <clears throat> and where that one just seemed a little shaky. Well, John, I don't know if you want to like uh, go on. That. I can walk yeah. us. I can walk us through it as best we can, just for uh, context. That episode ends with uh, evil psychiatrist George Hamilton being "quote unquote" identified by what he claims was a blind man who was walking his dog down the street, and in fact had been a blind man walking his dog down the street, but it was actually the blind man's brother that Columbo had encouraged to do the identifying. Right. If I'm remembering that correctly. Well, yeah, but it, there's, but it's not quite that simple. Okay. I mean, because basically, basically in that one, uh, again, for whatever reason, Columbo suspected George Hamilton of killing uh, Stephen Elliott's character mm-hmm. and also Leslie Ann Warren's character, but he doesn't think he can ever prove that. Now, he has he, Columbo again had gotten circumstantial evidence against uh, uh, George Hamilton's character, but didn't, but, but, but. but but didn't have that one you know, like super link that, that could really prove something. And what he told the guy was, I haven't, because because what happened was was George as a uh, George Hamilton was um, uh, at, at his mistress's house. Yeah. And the mistress's husband came in. Uh, they fought. George Hamilton killed him with I think it was a fireplace poker. Yeah. He, right. Right. And he then fled that house quickly. Um, uh, this blind man was walking his dog. Uh, down the street in trying to swerve and trying to avoid him. George Hamilton swerved and smashed his car a little bit. So Columbo knew somebody had smashed their car there. Um, then Columbo, later, finally, then at the episode, Columbo says, um, I have an eyewitness that will, you know, because the guy always, he always denied he'd ever been at that house. And Columbo says, I have an eyewitness that will prove you were at that house. And he pulls out the blind man's brother. He says, yeah, that was him. I saw him there. And George Hamilton says, he couldn't, you know, you're bluffing. He couldn't have seen anything. He's blind, and that's when the that's when the twin brother takes off the glasses because the twin brother dressed exactly like mm-hmm. uh, the brother, complete with complete with the all obscuring dark glasses that many blind people wear. Uh, the twin brother takes off his uh, glasses, and you know, Columbo reveals that no, this is not this is not the brother. This is not rather not the blind man. This is the brother. But I never said he was a blind man. How you could not have known this was a blind man unless, unless right. He, and then Columbo says, so when I said I had an eyewitness who could place you at the scene, I didn't mean him. I meant you because George Hamilton had slipped up and proved he had been at the mistress's house. So that would and actually then, would work. That would hold. That'd be kosher right. for that. And, okay. And then I, I would have just checked the paint on the, uh, on the wall versus the paint yeah. that scraped off right. the car. That would have been the easier way. But, you know, I'm not Columbo. What, what, well, once Columbo has that. Now he's got. He might not. He might not have had enough probable cause to go to a uh, to go to a judge to get a search warrant to compare the paint. 
But, mm. but once the guy, once the guy places himself there, now Columbo would have enough probable cause to get that search warrant, and then he would be able to compare the paint and get actual tangible physical evidence as well. Okay, so, that's good. So I, I well, I'm ask you a question. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just want to ask a question to Bob. Uh, say you have a cop with a reputation like Columbo as being very smart, are judges more likely to sort of say, I'll give you a warrant, you're, you know, been proven right all the time, you know, every other Sunday for eight years, um, versus a cop that the judge <laughs> thinks is an idiot? I mean, does that uh, come into play? Judges uh, will will take a cop's uh, track record into effect, uh, rather into account, sometimes in, in, in trying to in, in trying to, to, uh, in trying to decide whether to issue a warrant. They will take the fact that the guy's got a good track record, knows how to evaluate evidence. Yes, they will do that, but there's still, but there's still, there's a certain, um, what's the word I want? There's, there's a threshold. Certain, yeah, there's a threshold that you still need to cross for probable cause. It's, it's probable cause means it's more probable than not that you will, in the case of a search warrant, that you will find the evidence you're looking for at the place you want to look. Um, in the case of an arrest warrant, it's more probable than not that the person you want to arrest committed the crime. It doesn't have to be, it's not a way to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. It's just, it's actually 50, well, the, the court, you know, the books always say it's 51%, but actually it's 50, it's actually 49.9, you know, I mean, or mm -hmm. 50, 50. however many decimal points you want to take out, as long as that last decimal point is a, is a one and not a zero. So it's it just as, as, as long as it's a little bit above 50%. Well, I, I'm getting, I'm getting, so I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, please. So I asked for a search warrant 10 times, and 10 times out of 10, I found what I was looking for. I have a better chance than a guy who's five times out of 10 found what he was looking for. The, um, not, not necessarily, because it, it, it really it also depends on all search warrants are covered. Are, 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 search warrants are accompanied by supporting affidavit, wherein the uh, officer who wants the uh, search warrant will in an affidavit say, here is why I believe I am entitled to get this search warrant. And the judges will look at that, uh, will look at that affidavit. And um, even, even if a guy's got a track record of only once has he been successful, if the affidavit itself for this particular case looks to be fairly substantial and, and, you know, and, and producing probable cause, the judge will issue the warrant, even if the cop who wants the warrant has a horrible track record. Now, hmm. Having said that, it is possible that a judge may, in, in looking at something and, and trying to decide, well, is it better than 50-50, he might go, well, yeah, Columbus got a very good track record, so if it's it's almost, if it's almost exactly at 50-50, I'll let it tip a little bit in, in Columbus' favor because he's got such a good track record. I mean, that that certainly can might come into. Judges won't ever tell you that that came into the, uh, the mix because it's always supposed to be based just on the facts presented in the affidavit and not the track record of the police officer seeking the warrant, but, uh, but off, you know, but, but if you, you could like get them off the record or, or look at their, uh, or, you know, see the thought process, you might find that sometimes the, the police officer's track record is a part of the weighing process. So I, I'm going to ask though, uh, like on the other side of the bench, uh, for like the district attorney, uh, if you have someone like Columbo, who is a bit unorthodox in his methods, uh, unorthodox in, uh, getting and gathering the evidence is that someone where the DA is going to be eager? Like, oh, good, it's a Detective Colombo case. Okay, we're we're good. What's the slam dunk? Or it's going to be one where they're going to feel like, oh, this is going to be some late nights trying to figure this out. 
Like, like uh, which way would you would you guess they would go in this fictional world? Pretty much in the, in the fictional world. If, if you go back and look at most of the episodes in the fictional world, the plot, the prosecutors would love Columbo cases. Okay, good. Okay, because invariably at the end of virtually every episode, the murderer confesses. Right, but I mean, but can they can can they then recant later on and say, "Well, I didn't say that," and he's got flimsy, uh, like hearsay, strange stuff, like he uh, found uh, like a match a matchbook scraped note. And hidden in a lamp in a vault or something like that, where they can say like, "Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't hold up." Like, if you had a good defense attorney, <clears throat> that would be able to they'd be able to like blow that out of the water or not. Some of the cases more than others. Uh, some of, some of them have been somewhat sketchy. Right. Uh, okay. I mean, and and also it depends if you got, got stupid murderers too. I mean, like right, <laughs> right, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. We have yeah. a few, yeah, or, or even ones like this this episode where not not a stupid murder, but um, they made it way way too complicated. Their plot, they went way too far to have to fly in a small airplane over a large area and drop the evidence in a very, very specific spot, like that sort of thing, where like they almost go too far and how elaborate their plot is, which might undo them too. Well, if Colombo addresses that, he says, well, I know about the Perry Mason murder. It's not enough that you were found not guilty. Oh, right, yeah. Someone else has to take the blame. So she knows that if her husband's killed, you always look at the spouse. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing, you know, it's like, wow, she killed her husband. They, they can't prove that. I imagine that would fly through the legal community very quickly. But if you have a kidnapping where, you know, she's in the company of the FBI all the time when this happens, she's in the clear. Well, and that's an interesting thing, too. You bring up the Perry Mason thing. Like, that's one of two very, very obvious popular culture media things they bring up in this. Yeah, there's the Perry Mason, very direct reference to that. But then there's also the scene where... Uh, the da- the uh, daughter is watching uh, Double Indemnity for a very, very long time on a TV <laughs> set to bring up that very direct sort of thing, too, which I thought that was interesting. They, Yeah, they had the, both of those two things people are familiar with, with like uh, crime stories and murder stories, which I thought that was an interesting choice to do that. You know, I want to go back just a second to Bob. Sorry to knock you yeah. out there, Jim. But uh, I had a question about would Columbo have had to clear recruiting the daughter's help with the DA? Uh, does... probably, okay. not with, probably not with the DA. Mm-hmm. Because um, DAs in, in most cities, especially cities like Los Angeles, which are huge and you know have a large population and a lot of cases, uh, the DAs generally let the police investigate the cases on their own and don't get involved. Wow. It's, it's uh, as, as, as much in, in, in the investigation of the case, because, because they simply don't have time. Okay. To do, it's, it's, I mean, you've got, you've got Jake and the fat man, but the fat, but Jake was a, um, <laughs> yeah. <Jake laughs> specific investigator hired by the district attorney's office to do, to do investigations. He was not actually a police officer for right. that show. Uh, for the most part. Um, and, and I know that, I know that in Law and Order, they're always they're always working fairly uh, closely together. You know, Briscoe and and God, what's his name, are usually working fairly close together with the, with the with the DAs. But um, Sam Watterson and the like. But right. in a lot a lot of the bigger cities, the, the the DAs don't actually get involved in the investigations. 
but he but he might have needed to clear that with his superiors because as i said you've got you've got such a potential possibility for you know for like a wrongful death action right yes exactly yeah right or what if she had just gotten on the plane Right. Yeah. What if she had just been like, you know what? Actually, this is I a decent amount three, of money. See, I'll ya. take the three hundred thousand in the suitcase. <laughs> yeah. and let's take off then. Why not? Ta. Yeah. That, that's actually another great thing about uh, shows you shows you the times. Um, you know, they're, they're living in this huge posh mansion in Beverly Hills, and yet three hundred thousand dollars. Oh, was a them huge out. amount of money to them. Yeah. Back in like back in seventy one, it was there was an episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show from about the same time when Rhoda was. In, was in love with a stockbroker who who made made thirty five thousand dollars a year. Oh, oh my no. goodness! So it was like, <laughs> Such a sum. Imagine, right? Well, I like to. I always like to do this, and the uh, so I did look to see what the purchasing value of three hundred thousand ah. dollars from nineteen seventy one is today. It's one point eight million dollars. Oh, okay. So still that's not the still dollar not tens a- worth of sherry and root beer is six sixty seven. <laughs> yes, there you go. Yeah. yeah, let's find out how much is a dollar ten. That'd be six dollars sixty-seven cents, yeah, which so sounds about right. Actually, that's yeah. pretty cheap. Actually, for, for a sherry and a root and a yeah. root beer, yeah, actually, that's pretty good. They, yeah, the they, root beer a, She got. They gave her the bottom shelf stuff. <laughs> that's what they did. It's an airport bar. Yeah. Well, actually, they usually overcharge. I so I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, do you, do you need time to work through this, RJ? No, I'm fine. I'm, I'm surprised <laughs> okay. they were. Charging that little for sherry at an airport bar. I'm surprised. Well, I've never seen anyone order sherry, so I'm surprised they had it. Yeah, I'm surprised an airport bar would have sherry. Well, it was back in the fancy days of airports, where yeah. travel was not awful. Yes. Back when uh, no, Johnny Cash uh, could go on there and no air, airport detection, uh, cigarettes on the uh, trays, and everything like yeah. that. And one of the yeah. things I wrote in my note is when I looked at the car, guys driving a Lincoln. I think that thing was the size of Air Force One. <laughs> yes, huge cars in those days, just land yachts. You forget how big they were. Oh yeah, I uh, I actually was kind of wondering if Margaret got on the plane because that's the other thing. Like, imagine if you went to the airport and got your ticket, went through like today. If you went through check in and security and all that, and then you didn't get on the plane, it would cause like a major shutdown. Oh yeah, no, I think security is such an issue. Now it's, it's just not insane. Real, so it's. Like, I remember going to the airport, being able to go to the airport in Lansing as a kid. My parents would take me there just to watch planes go as entertainment. <laughs> I remember that because they had prop planes fly from Lansing to Detroit. Yeah, yeah. So you just kind of like, planes had propellers in the modern forth. time? Yep. Wow. Oh, yeah, no, it was exciting. Like uh, for some old, reason, RJ yeah. knows everybody on the show. There's always some guy from Detroit. No. Well, there's always a Detroit Twice. connection to any major, Twice. or Michigan connection to any major story in the country. <laughs> there's, there's, it's twice we've had the Detroit people on the program. That's it. I bet it's more, yes. well. I bet it's a little more because we did have uh, JD Risnar on a couple times. Oh, and you he's, know him he's from the west side of the state. He's, oh, he's from over there. He's from Muskegon. Oh God, one of those Dutchies. No, no, they don't count. No, it's Muskegon. He's from Muskegon for crying out loud. It's over there for yeah. Things you guys know. It's no better. Oh, Sorry. I meant to bring this up, but I actually wanted to give Jim the opportunity because he has his Columbo file open. Okay. Uh, and there was a bit in there about right after the uh, the scene where Columbo's lost his pen, there's the scene where he goes into the room and nobody pays attention to him. Hmm. And that was – Jim, do you want to take that one? Because like I say, you've got uh, – Well, 
I'm gonna open. Basically, said he loved that because uh, Sherlock Holmes. When Sherlock Holmes walks into the room, everyone goes, "Oh, Sherlock Holmes is here! Tell us what happens." Columbo walks in the room and he says, "Just sit in the corner quietly." He loved that. The smartest oh. guy in the room, and no one pays attention to him. That's great. And that was very purposeful. Oh, nice. That's and a that, great little a, character. See, that that's another thing with that where this I think was very very interesting. This episode in just trying to establish. Uh, the weird little moments and bits of the character and how other people interact with them. Uh, and the thing is, late, like uh, farther into the episode, uh, he has a meeting with Lee Grant in her office where she then ends up pointing out every single thing that pretty much becomes Columbo. Like mm-hmm. every single bit of his uh, weird little uh, bits and way he puts on the axe and everything, which I thought was so interesting for what is pretty much like a second pilot to then have a character and a point out like this guy's going to do that, 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 and that every single time, which I, I thought was, I thought was fascinating. They made that choice to just make it. <clears> well, so they did the obvious. same thing in prescription murder. You're an elf on your own toadstool kind of thing. And yeah, but it wasn't so she was just like saying it literally saying like you yeah. pretend to be stupid. Uh, you bring up the stories about the relatives like everything, like everything he'd been doing that ends up being like the hallmarks, of the character for like the next uh, 20, 30 years, she, like, specifically names, like, literally, which I thought was kind of neat that they did that right from the get-go. And he's like, what, me? No, of course not. Oh, okay. But she gets it and realizes it and recognizes being, like, a really, really smart way to go about this. She's she's great. I mean, first off, we haven't really talked about how great Lee Grant is, and we should. <clears throat> oh, yeah, no, she's wonderful she's in this. She's so and good I- in this. I've already written up the summary for this episode for the Tumblr, and, and my opening line is that if we're angry at the McCarthy HUAC hearings for anything, and there's a lot to be angry at them about, it's that they robbed us of 12 years of Lee Grant performances. Well, now, see, I don't know her history, so please illuminate me on she that, because I don't know. Really? They, anybody else got it? <laughs> yeah, Bob. Well, like, no, just you were oh, saying nice. it, but yeah, they mentioned that in the Colombo file about uh, oh, yeah. she was blacklisted for 12 years and mostly <laughs> I had on no Broadway. idea. Oh my god. She did. They they asked her to come in and um, uh, testify against her husband at the time, who was Arnold Manoff, hmm. uh, who was a Marxist, and that put her, and she refused, so they ended, she ended up on the blacklist. So we had oh, 12 years and that was back in 51, and I will give you her precise age, but I will tell you that it was her 20s and 30s. Good God. Which, as you know, here we go, uh, 26 to 51, so she was 25. Well, I, I and, ended up, um, she, she still was doing stuff uh, yeah. pretty recently. Uh, she was in Mulholland Drive, which I didn't realize until I was looking up her credits and then looked up like a scene on YouTube. Like, oh, she was that weird, creepy lady in Mulholland <laughs> Drive. So she was, yeah. Well, there's that, and she was also a, a a director of a lot of documentaries, including the, as far as I'm aware, like the first genuine documentary on transgenderism back in 1985. Really? Wow! And the reviews for it are tremendous. I'm. Mm. It's called What Sex Am I? I'm definitely going to go check it out. It's it's described as being just you know very sensitive and very aware, and this was not something that was that discussed very often in the 80s, so it's fascinating that she uh, approached it. And actually, uh, speaking of her being good in this, she got the Emmy this year for this episode, right? 
Yes, she was oh, nominated yeah. for two different Emmys, and she beat Colleen Dewhurst. And so she said, well, it takes me two times to beat Colleen Dewhurst once. That's such a good line. Right. That's so nice. Well, here there's another odd uh, Colombo connection, because uh, John and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. And uh, that the night, the show she won, um, the guy who won Best Actor was George C. Scott. And it's the same year that he turned down the uh, Best Actor Oscar for Patton. So... Uh, accepting the Oscar, uh, the the Emmy uh, for George C. Scott uh, that year uh, was a actor who Scott had directed in a uh, PBS uh, production that year. Uh, Jack Cassidy, <laughs> of all people, accepted the Oscar for the Best Actor winner, which that's so strange. So yeah. It's a, you never don't have a tie into Columbo somehow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> I have some interesting bits of trivia for you from her IMDb page, including the the most invasive piece of trivia I've ever heard. So I'll lead my way to that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she she describes herself as the girl who says yes to everything. So here we go. Uh, so first off, it's it's worth mentioning that she and Falk not only did very well in this show together. They performed Prisoner of Second Avenue. They launched Prisoner of Second. Yeah, Avenue. Yeah, they they were the first. They were the first, uh, like major. Yeah, the leads in that. And uh, yeah. they they started that in September when Columbo began airing. Uh, September of seventy one. It was April when Falk was contacted to do a whole season of Columbo. So he mandated it had to be done between April and September so that he could do the play. Oh, said so that's six ninety minute episodes. Like packed into that much time right the first season wow uh so let's see she turned down the role of uh i'm is it dorothy i'm blanking on b arthur's character in the golden girls yeah dorothy i think yeah it's Dorothy. she turned down the yeah. role she was yeah. offered the role of dorothy and she turned it oh, down weird wow it would have been a whole different whole different deal yeah uh and then the third piece of trivia let's let me i want to quote it According to her autobiography, I said yes to everything. Grant lost her virginity at age 17 to an Irish dancer named Buster Burnell in August 1943. Oh, all right. If that comes up at bar trivia, I'm leaving. (laughs) Okay, sure. On on the other hand, it's not really intrusive because she revealed it. It's in the book. Right, yeah. Yeah, she's she's a wildly, very open character. So, yeah, it's fine. She talks about having received an abortion. She talks about having undergone a facelift. Uh, Everything that actresses are not inclined to talk about, at least from her era, she was talking about all of it. I'm very much a fan of Lee Grant. Yeah, no, I did. It's great. Actually, you know who else I'm also a fan of in this episode? We haven't talked about him yet. Oh, yeah, let's get to him. Harold Gould. Is greatness. Harold Gould is one of my favorite character actors of all time, and I think he does a very good job in this one. He would have been reunited with Lee Grant had she taken the role of Dorothy. Oh, right! That's right! <laughs> yes, yes. He was in that episode. Yeah, he was in that show quite a bit. Yeah. Miles. Yeah, he played Miles Weber. Well, I'll um, defer to you on your expertise on the Golden Girls. That's the next podcast. No, yeah. no, it's not. I don't like that show at all. But yes. Podcast Golden Girls. Yeah, no, it's called uh, "Thank You for Being a Friend." RJ, isn't that a good title for a Golden Girls podcast? No, it, it's not. Yeah, okay, no, it's no, terrific. It's All right, anyway, uh, but yeah, I like him in this. But then the feds um, are kind of idiots in this. Well, they're really? taken in. Well, they're taken think... in, but then they do things like, okay, here's the scene where the actual uh, uh, the, the the drop has happened, and oh, it's empty. 
and instead of actually kind of checking out the area for tire tracks or footprints, eh, they just go home. <laughs> oh, there's a highway it was over overtime. There. It was late. There's a highway over there, so we don't want to bother. They don't. They don't just not check for tire tracks. They actually drive over the area. Oh, drive over, <laughs> and then also mess it up with the helicopter rotors too, <laughs> with dirt and the sand. It's just it's all gone. Like they don't bother with it. Like oh, time to go home. Knock off. No, what? They are super concerned well, they- about this. This episode was weird with the forensics. I mean, I wrote in my notes, oh, she shoots the guy. Isn't she worried about leaving evidence? But she fooled me. She shot him with a twenty-two. Right. And that was entirely on purpose. Because, yeah, when we... Yeah, but I... Yeah. I do want to know how she wrapped the guy up and carried him out because she weighs about a buck five. And, you know, (laughs) he looks like a pretty hefty guy. And she lifted him and put him in the trunk. Yeah. My wife was, like, super, super sleuth during this episode because everything that happened, she'd be like... Oh, she's shooting him with a twenty-two. That's not even to go through. And what is she trying to do? Not get blood on the walls? Like, good, that's, good one, that's, baby. That's what it was. John, that's exactly. John, oh, how come he's moving? John, she's moving the seat up. I hope she moves it back. I'm like, yeah, good one, honey. John, huh? Uh, she was taking notes. <laughs> well, <laughs> just gonna say, I, you might, you might wanna, you might wanna watch your back. This podcast is all the clues you need to find the killer. <laughs> there we go. Oh my god! Someone, yeah, someone committing a murder with like the top five or six episodes using every single element, <laughs> and just like uh, the Columbo killer mysteries is actually or, a like yeah, good a idea. serial killer who just uses Columbo murders. That's an interesting idea. And then we someone, talk about a revival all the time. And a cop doesn't uh, the cops who like haven't seen it in forever. They're like, I don't know, I can't, I don't know how these people are pulling these off. No, no, I they, don't get, know. they get the cop. They get the cop who's really into Rockford. Yes. <laughs> He can't get his mode, he can't get his mo changed. He's trying, but he's just so rockfordy. Yeah. Wasn't that actually the plot of the uh, pilot episode of Castle? That's how they got together. That the I never saw that. Yeah, using the plots of using the plots of Castle's books. That's oh, that's how. Oh, he... okay. Yeah, I never saw that show, but that's actually kind of fun. Yeah, because he was a mystery writer. Yeah, and that's how they get... started. Oh, that's fun. That's a really clever idea. I like that. Like that's how the guy gets pulled in. Like. There's some psychopath using his actual brilliant murder ideas, fiction murder oh, ideas, to actually do things. <laughs> there's like hey, one uh, person who actually knows it and has read his stuff. Oh, that's a great idea. So here's the thing that I love, and uh, this, is a, this is a Columbo bookend because it will pop up in the 90s episodes. The very first appearance of Barney's Beanery. That's right. Not only Barney's Beanery, but also uh, Timothy Carey Tim as Carey. Bert. What the heck? Timothy Carey as Bert was in like the uh, second pilot episode. And uh, I, I, can you imagine Peter, appearances. Peter Falk got out of there intact? <laughs> Timothy Carey has a rep. That's a shock. Well, yeah, He's but so... he, was in, he, was in, he was in a few of these, though. So just the guy who worked with him on stuff. So, yeah. I know. Well, he was a Cassavetti's yeah. favorite, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the story is that one time Timothy Carey, when he had Cassavetes over at his house, forced Cassavetes to put on a padded suit and then sicked his Doberman pinchers on him. <laughs> and that's Did how he say he kiss or up... kill? Yeah, exactly. Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> if that's not an inspiration, I don't he know said, what is. <laughs> he said Rosebud. Yeah. And uh, what was the other one? Ilya Kazan stabbed him with... No, it was Marlon Brando stabbed him with a pen. Oh, well, because he, he was, that, he, he was, that's a lot of people though. So yeah, he was goofing off so much. He couldn't take it. He stabbed him with a pen. Anyway, Timothy Carey, just a really interesting thing to see in this episode. Yes. Right, right, right. Um, and he played like a, a, a chili joint guy in 
Um, oh, the first season episode, Eddie Albert. Dead, dead weight. Dead weight. Yes, he was a yeah. joint guy in that one, and then he was the uh, deli owner in the uh, Shatner episode. Yeah, uh, which I'm actually blanking on the name of. People know it's a Shatner uh, episode. Fate, fade into murder. Yes, fade, fade into, into murder. murder. So yeah, murder. The the first one anyway. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was Bert, Bert, and Tony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I look at my notes for other things. There's a lot of slapping in this episode. People just oh, yeah, like mine. slapping all over the place in this one. Columbo gets slapped for crying out loud. Has Columbo ever oh. taken a shot before? I don't think so. He's just he's so unassuming it would feel like beating up a baby. So I guess <laughs> I, it has to be a slightly uh, hysterical kind of messed up teen who hits him. Yeah, people have threatened and plotted to murder him and his loved ones. But I, I can't remember if anyone's ever actually yeah, like uh, laid, a, laid a mitt on him before. So good but, on Margaret. She's got something going for her. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Man. I think well, that was the second time we sort of see Columbo turn to ice. Uh, the first time is, you know, he's very humble with the FBI. But as soon as he says, well, it's a murder now. I, so I figure it's that's my, my jurisdiction. Department. Yeah. Yeah, and he just suddenly turns on a dime and he said, no, no, you can't tell me what to do. Right. I'm not here at your sufferance. It's a nice. It's a. That's a very nice moment. In the, it's it's in the courtroom, after um, Lee Grant's found out that her husband is dead, which of course she knew, and she fakes being all broken up about it. And Cullen brings up, and uh, Harold Gould is all, well, you know, I won't have you bothering that woman. And that's when just Columbo just, that's it. Like, nope, you're sorry. It's my thing now. Back off, pal. Yeah, it's a nice move. It's, I don't remember Columbo acting. Columbo rarely acts tough. Yeah. So that was fascinating to watch. Right, right. Which, I, I <laughs> this, again, being a sort of proto-Columbo thing where they're still figuring it out, like, I'm wondering if they just consciously did dial back on that and they realized, well, we don't want him to have him do that, really. Well, he also he was also tougher in Prescription Murder, too. He was, he was, he was a lot more aggressive in that right. than episodes. Yeah. yeah. Because, again, they hadn't established the character fully. That's the thing, again, I've said it before, but it's so interesting how you can actually see it happening in this, between that, between Prescription Murder, and this, and then getting to uh, the actual series itself. It's just really interesting to see that evolution, that progression, the thought that went into figuring out exactly what this guy is, and how he behaves, and all the very little details to it. It, it, it's, It's a really, really, really interesting thing to see, I think. Well, I always thought the great thing about Columbo was is he could always be very polite, nice, and by the end, some people were terrified of him. Jennifer Skye and the last Columbo, Columbo Likes Nightlife. Columbo shows up, and she's just about ready to crack in half. Right, and He's yes. never anything but nice to her. I know, you and know, in that one, just, he's just... He's they go from annoyed like to, 70s. oh my God. Yes, he's this guy in his 70s. Why would you be afraid of... It's not just Peter Falk and Columbo. It's Peter... It's super old Peter Falk in Columbo. And yeah, she just got like, Oh no, it's him. Huh? It's like, he's this old man in a raincoat. Why? Why would you be afraid? <laughs> he does. He does have a, you know, a little bit of ominous power, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even at that point he did. Uh, one thing I liked, um, you, you don't see a lot. Uh, I mean, you see a lot of the uh, elements that become consistent, but, uh, one in here, which I'm glad they did. Uh, his fear of heights and flying. Like, from which the is, get-go, it's right there, which I think is fun. Yeah. That is fun, and also it really establishes, I think, one of 
the best trends in Columbo, which is the shifting of power. Oh, yes. Because that yes. that entire scene is just about taking power away from Columbo and regaining it. Mm-hmm. Even when she puts his hand, oh, especially when she oh, puts the, his the, hands the, the, the on the steering, steering wheel. wheel. Yeah. And also, I'll say, mm. I'm a bit frightened because I didn't know small planes could do that, and that bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that, that that's an option. So I thought that was, th- that scene and the scene in her office where she's just mercurially going through every expression and all this analysis of, of Columbo's antics. Right. Just were so superb. Right, but then the airplane scene, because I think the airplane scene is one where she's taking him up there just being complete dick to him and making him nervous and sick to his stomach. And he, that happens, sure. But then once they're back on the ground, I think that's when he brings up the whole thing about that cousin of his or something Mm -hmm. who was so perfect and nice. And he says, yeah, I hated him. I wanted him dead. Because so that's ex- he knows exactly, yeah, it's a thing of just turning the tables back and forth. Yeah, it, it's, it's wonderful. It, it reminded me a little bit of the um, uh, Patrick McGowan episode uh, where he's a CIA agent and the scene in his den where Patrick McGowan uh, is like, hey, hey, I've been surveilling you. Here's your wife's favorite song, blah, blah, blah. But then by the end of that scene, Columbo's completely turned it around on him. Mm-hmm. To make it so he's completely shitting his pants, knowing he's going to end up going to jail, pretty much. Well, that's uh, what Columbo does. He always takes someone's greatest strength and turns it against him. Um, yes. You know, when you see her doing with the FBI, she's very coquettish. She's under the covers by a fire in California, you know, and, oh, thank you. Offer, you know, and the guy's like, oh, I only help you, man. And when she's talking to Columbo, she talks to him like he's a little boy. We go up the stairs. And you go right, right. and uh, so she's always <clears throat> mirroring whatever she needs. She's just no personality, which well, I think is a nice touch because that's what sociopaths are like. And then he feeds into it too when she's saying like, "Oh, I'll go make dinner for you." You're all going to be stuck here. He's like, "Oh, I'll come and I'll peel potatoes for you. Whatever you need me to do." Like, yeah, she can't get then. away from yeah. him. Yeah. Right. Even yeah, her, then, her right. pure disdain was so glorious. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, this is a good episode, guys. It is a good episode. It it is good, and you think it would. Uh, being like, oh, it's a pilot, they're still finding their way, which they are in a certain manner, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, because I remember we talked about um, Prescription Murder, Tilda Rises, we were amazed at how many of the basic story elements were there right from the start, but this one, they figured out what the heck they wanted, or who actually they wanted Columbo to be, and what they wanted him to be like, and they just had it, like uh, Falk had it figured out. Like back in seventy one, so yeah, it was yeah, it is interesting to see it like this. As we're, uh, I think we're wrapping up on an hour, so I want to make sure yes. we get Bob's final word on this. Bob, do you think this one, this one results in a conviction? Yes, because she uh, revealed that she had the marked money. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And, and as I said, what he did might have been entrapment if they were going to prosecute her for attempting to bribe a witness, but he did he did not entrap her into uh, killing her husband. She had already done that. So right. because because she because she showed up with the marked money, I think yes, uh, this one will result in a conviction. Fantastic. That's one down. Good. <clears throat> 60, out of sixty seven yeah, to go. Sixty seven <clears throat> to figure out yeah, whether or not a lot more than for example last you know, last, what was the last uh, leash of the Commodore? Last, oh, uh, last yeah. week of the Commodore? Right. Well, the guy 
wasn't the watch, so he's clearly the murderer. What? Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that, that episode that, not even He knew sure. the watch was broken. Right, yeah, that was... I think that, that one. I think that one took place outside of any sort of continuity of every anything whatsoever. I liked it, but it just it was completely untethered from any sort of Columbo or any kind of other reality. I'm sticking with it's Groundhog Day in the prisoners' the village. With with with, with a little with I think we said a little sprinkle of Arista development. Yes, that's right. Because that's it, why you it's own. it's the Arista it's it's the Arista development community back in the. Uh, Back in the seventies or whatever. Well, I thought it was very interesting that they, the second Columbo murder was a woman and a woman's lawyer, and you know this is nineteen seventy one, and I thought that was a pretty bold move because usually it was men, and you know, it was oh, an equal opportunity point, yeah. cop. Well, I mean, it also I, actually that is kind of an interesting point because she was someone who was really, really trying to establish a career for herself, and it, well, actually, no, that's something we didn't bring up yet. There was this really odd sequence or odd scene, which I, I talked to John about this earlier in the week, where Columbo goes to Lee Grant's office and is talking to her assistant, uh, who has just come in, lets Columbo in the office or something like that. And Columbo says, I don't know how you do it. Well, what do you mean? I work for a woman. Which I thought I was, was kind of to... weird. Was he trying to get at him and trying to get him to reveal something? Or was I that take so it that weird? He... Yeah. yeah, trying to provoke a response. He said, oh, she's tough as nails. She's a barracuda. So, okay. So, you know. It, 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 was a little her... bit, it was a little bit jarring, though, to hear Columbo say that, because usually Columbo isn't exactly... Yeah, I don't know. No, he's not. But I think, again, he was trying to provoke a response, just as he saw her being coquettish and hiding under the blanket with the FBI. Right. And he talks to this guy. He says, oh, she's the toughest. So he knows that she's good at playing games. Okay. And he's just... Always, he never asks an innocent question. He's always trying to get information. And she says, you always go for the jugular. You know, and so, you know, if he asks you how the weather is, you know there's a, he's not just being polite. He's looking for some motive or something. So, so I took it as that. He's trying to... No, yeah, please, sir. He's trying to provoke a response and say, I wonder what kind of lawyer she is. This guy will tell me, and she's tough. She's not riding on the coattails of her husband. She can go it alone. She doesn't need her husband. Right. So, so something that we often uh, talk about with episodes is, uh, when does everybody think that he knew? Oh. <clears throat> I so, didn't think about it for this one. Yeah, just, I think it's very early. He's there with the FBI. No, or, the no beginning, I or suspect. I think suspect. Suspect. Let's go with suspect. Oh. Yeah. He suspected um, as soon as, I, as I recall, he suspected as soon as I got that phone call. And she didn't ask her husband, how are you? Right. Yeah, because it's like, in my, in my summary, it's ever, all of his hunches with her are based <clears> on <throat> her not acting like a concerned human being. Right. In the situation. So I think every time she didn't do that, that's what just kind of clicked it a little bit more for him. Yeah. Just like just like he suspected Gene Barry was a murderer because he didn't come in and, and call for his wife. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Over. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for my part, I think, yeah, obviously that was what triggered it. But I think the moment he knew, and this also might be me being a contrarian because I'm always looking for the weird moment. But hmm. I think it's when she's curled up in her mink coat talking really coquettishly with Harold Gould. Oh, I could see that too, yes. And I think that's when Columbo said, 
wow, this woman is for some reason playing the federal agent like a harpsichord. Yeah. I wonder why. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot the other... of edits and cutaways with him there where he just has these looks like, oh, that's strange. Like he isn't, yeah. It's that whole thing of him being in the background, no one paying attention to him. And yeah, he's just kind of looking all around and just like observing and watching how she's behaving, how she's acting in this whole situation. And it just doesn't line up with someone who'd be concerned and worried about her husband possibly being murdered as well as being mm-hmm. kidnapped. Yeah. I also think he said, whoa, okay, so she can fly, but the kidnappers are trusting her to be able to fly such a precise way to get to such a precise point. Well, you know, yeah. that's awfully complicated, you know. It getting your ransom strange. depending on her really being a great flyer as opposed to just a competent flyer. So, you know. I think if a ransom note comes in and it's like really specific about your hobbies, that is strange. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's like, well, we know he was coming back from Phoenix. He was at a stop sign, so they obviously grabbed him out of the car from the stop sign. Well, that's an awful lot of particular information. I know right. five ways to get home from the airport depending on traffic. So. Yeah, her, her, play, her plan is very, very convoluted and specific and strange. Like, maybe she was counting on that, though. Like, well, no one would do that. So it's got to be a gang of... Folks I just keep like, picturing it as like, you know, they tell her to fly your plane. It's like somebody sending me a ransom note that says, tell us about really obscure comic book characters and then <laughs> go here and about some money. Right. Um, although I do have a question, which is, do you, I, I, I'm sure they must. I mean, it's their job to deliver mail. But I feel like if the U.S. Post Office had a letter in their hands that was just like obviously cut from magazines, they wouldn't deliver it right away. They would be like, let's. Let's stop and see if the cops have an opinion on this. Right. Just Usually, like, you save the you save the uh, the weird psycho cut up stuff for the for the letter yeah. inside. But, you you would write or type the stuff on the outside, maybe. Well, you, you wouldn't want to type it. Oh, right, because you could trace the typewriter. Right, right, well, right. Unless unless you use because this was seventy one. I think they existed back then. You use an IBM Selectric uh. and you ball. Oh, okay. oh, we got to save that one for the Jack Cassidy murder when he's a magician. <laughs> then throw away the tape. Yeah, right, you're all yes. set. Well, I do love a Selectric. Yeah. They're they're musical. It's like it's like typing on the crashing waves. Huh. Well, Elmer Leonard had a solution for that. I believe it was out of sight. The bank robber went into a store, typed up a "Give me your money" kind of thing. Walked out of the store and then just made multiple copies of it. And whenever he ran out of the notes, he just make more copies of it. So all they had was a copy of a copy of <laughs> oh, something written a, on a typewriter in a store. That's a good idea. That's a good. Oh one. my gosh. But oh, yeah, I feel hey. like it, it's the same thing. If you like, if you saw they picked up a letter that had a bloody handprint on it, they would probably say, <laughs> well, I "Give this one to the postal inspector." I'm just playing a hunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, well, she wasn't wearing gloves when she was typing up uh, the letter, or cutting up the letter. I noticed that specifically. I said, well, Dick Van Dyke would be mad at you. You're not wearing gloves. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very very fortunate that fingerprint technology was only invented in 1972. Right. They were just a few That's months short. Just a month shy. Uh, That's only when we knew that fingerprints were good. Before uh, that, it, people, cops were like, I hate fingerprints. They're useless. And is it <laughs> odd that uh, Columbo keeps referring to himself as just local police in this? Not the no, LAPD, like but just local police, not LAPD. Like, I wonder why that specific choice was made. Because hmm. it's very obvious it's Los Angeles police, it's in Los Angeles, but just calling himself local police multiple times. Like, oh, I'm local police. It's like, I thought that was a strange 
Well, I thought it was in contrast to federal. I'm local versus federal. Oh, could be. That's how I took it. Yeah. Okay. It also could have been a dig at the FBI because when he was introduced to Lee Grant, he was introduced as he's our local police liaison. Oh, that's right. Oh, so he just kind of like, all right, fine. If that's what I am, whatever. Sure, that's all I am. Local local police, let me run rings around you people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, let's... uh, Let's let's start going around with final thoughts on things. Uh, what, what's your thought of the episode overall? Let's let's start with uh, Jim. Jim, this one. What did you think? In I thought this was a really solid episode. Um, like I said, uh, I thought it was interesting that it was a woman. Not only that, it was a woman, but it was a woman who was doing something not connected with some of the other things. Colombo female murders. She's not a movie star, which can be seen as a woman. She's not a makeup mogul. She's not an Agatha Christie esque. Uh, writer of mystery kind of thing. So or she's or an heiress of some large fortune or something right. like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, so she's just, so I thought it was interesting. I thought the daughter was a little weak. She was 19, and she looked very old. I, she was 19 when she did this, and really? I did enjoy when the daughter says, the fuzzer outside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and you know, she had those round hippie glasses, and I said, yeah, that's 1971 for you. But I thought overall the daughter was just like, you're right, I almost like it better if she was... Um, when you put an evil spin on what she's doing, I'd rather catch my mother-in-law and just shove it to her than get justice for my father. I think that's a really good interpretation. Yeah, and it yeah, definitely. makes what I consider a weak performance. And I checked her IMDb, and she didn't do a whole lot. No, no, she did no. not. Which yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't all that good in the beguiled either. Uh, eh. uh Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about that now. I feel bad, like, eh, she, but she wasn't that good. So whatever. It was like a movie of the week thing to her. It's fine. Uh, Bob, you, overall, what'd you think of this thing? Actually, in the, in the courtroom scenes, especially the ones where Lee Grant was not paying any attention at all, but yet she still just kind of would bark out random court phrases. It seemed like she was paying attention. Like, how, what would you think of all that? Um, well, I've been in courtrooms. Um, yes. I really <laughs> found it possible myself um, to be holding a conversation with somebody and still be listening to the to the witness well enough that I could that I could uh, make an objection. On the other hand, her objections are so generic, irrelevant, and immaterial. That yeah, yeah, no, they, that's what it seemed like to me. I, I've well, I've been in a courtroom, but I've never been in either of those tables, and it still seemed to me as just like a layperson, like, eh, that that didn't seem like that made sense to me. Yeah. I will say the plaintiff had a terrible attorney because if she took pictures of the, you know, slumlord hotel, whatever it was, plaintiff should have been able to introduce that in evidence too. And we went there five days later. Look, we took pictures, you know, but uh, yeah. Oh well. But but by the way, the um, the fact that she was cut, uh, uh, scolding her her client isn't necessarily uh, a, a sign of anything. That just that's something lawyers are supposed to do. You're supposed to you're supposed to advise your client. Look, you want to avoid lawsuits suits in the future. Do this. Right, yeah, it's going to save them money. It's, it's like actually, a, right. yeah, right. Uh, I really like, Bob, can we just call you at the end of every episode and have you give us your legal opinion? Because this is great. Actually, that would be fun. Just, say, like, just have, <laughs> have, have, have the Ingersoll minutes after the, <laughs> after the closing music. It's like, okay, would this one have flown? No. Okay, thank you. We'll talk to you next time. I, 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 mean, I, I, I like the episode overall. My, my, my biggest problem with it was i thought one of the i thought one of the coolest clues in the in the episode 
was a throw was thrown away, whereas they could have actually shown it, which is the car seat. This oh is, right, he just says it, and then, like he, you don't see him actually do it. Yeah, yeah, just referenced in passing, um, because the car would have been towed. It, you know, they wouldn't have driven it back; would have been towed, so the seat wouldn't have moved. It was referenced in passing in the diner sequence when Colombo comes back with a mysterious disappearing bowl of chili, which is right. <laughs> It's full when he when he starts to take it away from the table and is half eaten when he gets to the table. But um, right, but, but it would have been it would have been cooler for Columbo actually to look at the car, maybe even try to get into the car and say like, "Well, Whoa, no. this seat's all yeah, it's just it's a throwaway line." Yeah, no, that's I mean, a oh, sorry. good clue. You're right. Well, I mean, that's a, it's it's a good it's a good visual thing to do. Like, and you could have like some of the time that was spent and some of like the endless arguments between. Uh, the daughter and the stepmother, you could have had, like, two or three minutes where Columbo's in the police garage, getting in the car, like, this just doesn't work. Like, moving the seat Oh, you could have had her forth. say, well, could you come? I need to demonstrate this. Why don't you sit in here? Oh, it fits you perfectly, but your husband is, you know, six inches taller than you. You know, right, he no, would have been that, pushed that's, back. That's a very good point. That would have well, been a lot more visually interesting for a television program than uh, some argument people sitting in, like, a very lavish house set being mad at each other. Well, we're prepared to have your minds blown. This episode was written by Dean Hargrove, and he right. used that same clue in The Return of the World's Greatest Detective, which was a kind of a fun movie made in the mid-'70s where Larry Hagman plays an Epcot named Sherman Holmes, and his motorcycle falls on his head, and he thinks he's Sherlock Holmes. What? And suddenly becomes the world's greatest detective. I think what? you can find it on YouTube. It is yeah. on YouTube. Oh, my God. What? But he used yeah. that same clue. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the police liaison was played by Nicholas Colasanto. Oh, what? Coach. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, my God. Well, Hulk always said that, that he, he liked a good clue, so you don't want to throw them away. So if you have right. a good one, especially if you have a good one that isn't actually shown. Yeah. Um, Weird. Uh, isn't actually shown um, in, the, in the show, then, yeah, you then use it later. Yeah, because then, yeah, yeah, actually use it. Well, we see her adjust the seat. I paid attention to that the second time I saw this. So, right, yes, we but see I mean, her move it up. Yeah, but I mean, Bob's got a great point where that would have been a good scene to actually watch yeah. rather than right. say. Right, the, the, the moral of the story is if you drive the murder victim's car, push the seat back and make sure you hit one of the preset buttons on the radio so it's not playing classical. Right, exactly, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh uh, me, I I like this one. I think it's a great transition between uh, the very uh, first bits of Columbo and what we grew to love and know as Columbo. I, I think it's really interesting just to watch that whole uh, thing play out. It, it's strange to see the whole thing uh, formatted and bookended in more of a uh, cinematic way in terms of the credits and music and everything than just an episode of the TV show. So that was a little weird, unsettling for me. Um, it was still a movie of the week, and those were a pretty big deal back in those days. Yeah, I guess so, but it, it, just watching it now, it looks like, oh, this is actually a movie of some kind or another. So it was kind of strange seeing it that way. Uh, I think there was way too much use of the uh, diamond filter uh, for the lighting <laughs> on the cameras. Um, I liked it, though. I liked it over... Uh, yeah, I think it's a good episode. It, it's, it's not one of my favorites, but it's a very good, solid Columbo episode, especially for being something that was kind of a pilot. Uh, it really worked as proof of concept. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. And you can see why NBC got to the point where, like, oh, I guess we ever make this a show. Sure. 
Yeah, if you want to print money. It sound, <laughs> you made them sound so, like, reject, dejected about it. Uh, we can make this show. I well, I mean, that's what it seems like it was, pretty much. Like, oh, I guess we got to make this thing. Like, yeah, yeah, you got to make this thing, for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, and then running around in Mrs. Columbo. Am I a bad person for not Mrs. listening Columbo. to that podcast because I hate it, Mrs. Columbo? I, I hope we, we were able to get people... Uh, through that episode of Mrs. Colombo by talking about how it was not good. So it was at We're least entertaining. It was at least entertaining to talk <laughs> about it. So you might want to give the Donald it a Pleasant one. one. Yeah, I think, and I might want to do the ventriloquist dummy one. Yes. I, I saw like, I saw <laughs> yes. one screen grab from it. I'm like, oh, well, okay. I'm so excited. All right. Yeah, well, that's, that makes <laughs> I've already sad. got a guest for one of them. We're all set up. Did the dummy do it? That would be cool. <laughs> I don't, don't, don't ruin it for me. I don't know. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, John. Yes, sir. Uh, what would you rate this episode? Well, I tell you what, here's my, my favorite thing about it. And I, I know we're very far into the podcast uh, in terms of episodes, so I'm sure nobody who's listening to us is new to Columbo. Right. But if, if you're new to Columbo, yeah, or if you've you would never like seen new... the show before, <laughs> all I hear is talking about the second pilot of the series uh-huh. from 1971. Sure. <laughs> But if you uh, if you haven't seen it before, or if you would like a really interesting experience, I honestly feel like watching Prescription Murder and this episode back to back. Oh, that'd be amazing! That'd be such it's a fascinating. Contrast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, all the intellectual elements of Columbo are in Prescription Murder, and then all the physical ones, for the most part, anyway, right. are in Handsome for a Dead that's, Man. That's a great so, way to put it. Yes, yeah. So it's it's exciting to watch it happen. More so, I think, even than Murder by the Book, because Murder by the Book follows this. Mm-hmm. But that's more of a showcase for Cassidy. Yeah. And it is for Fall. And Steven so, Spielberg. And yes, Steven Spielberg. Right, right. <clears throat> I think it might be the favorite my favorite thing of his. Anyway. <laughs> um actually Jaws. It's always yeah. Jaws. Jaws. I'm gonna go with Indiana Jones. That's also good. But Jaws is so pared down. It's really interesting to see him work like that. Anyway, um, but yeah, Margaret was a weak spot, and I over four viewings of this in the last two weeks. Good lord! I did start to develop that little theory about her being that petulant and that petty, and that that really helped bring her up to me, and it helped elevate the episode because her scenes could be a slog, even when she's running around the house like a lunatic. Right. So with all of that being said, and Lee Grant's amazing, and Grant and Falk's uh, performances together are astonishing, mm-hmm. this is a great episode. And I'm going to give it two, but the first two are blanks. <laughs> what about the next few, Leslie? How about the next seven? I'm going to give it nine blanks slash bullets out of ten blanks slash bullets. Wow. That's – Wow. Ah, I loved it. I nice. thought this was great. great. And a, like, like I, uh, I wrote a couple last week. I think I wrote my Sinister Six of Columbo Killers. Right. But I hadn't seen this yet, and I think if I had, I would have replaced one of those. Oh, interesting. Okay. Dabney Coleman. I'm sad to say, it probably would have been Dabney. Yeah, I could see. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. yeah. It's another lawyer. I just wanted one lawyer. Right now, <laughs> it's he's kind of a weak sentimental choice, just for the I fun like of having Dabney. Oh, I like him. Yeah, yeah. But I could see you replace. Yeah, I could see the replacement. Yeah. Of him with her. Yeah. I okay. have no truck with that. Nine out of ten. Great. Well, thank you, uh, Jim and Bob, for being on. Uh, well, let's go around. Uh, where should uh, Jim start with you? Like, where, 
Well, actually, one of you knows is Jim from Detroit, so it seems to yeah, be sort of... Yeah, I've had some bad experiences with this, you know, being on the internet, and so I'm a little paranoid. And there's but something more controversial than uh... a Columbo podcast to be on. <laughs> well, you never so, know. You, right. You, you, I'm sure Bob can tell you about people who have been stalked and things like that, so... Okay, no but, problem. Fair enough. But uh, uh, my next goal is to bring Columbo back. Uh, I got Bob, <laughs> when you guys together, I'm going to bring Columbo back. I'm All right. Approach Peter Scolari, he'll get Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks will get Pete, Steven Spielberg, and they'll get um, Vince Gilligan, who would die to write a Columbo. That, that, oh, God. That's there we go. Know. Columbo's coming back. So that's who do you want him to be? We've talked about that. I, I still think my top of my list would be uh, Mark Ruffalo, who uh, has said publicly he wants to play him. So, yes. Yeah. I think then we fine. could get all the guys from the Marvel movies. You know, you could have Robert Downey Jr. kill Chris Evans every year. That'd be great. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Chris Evans? Yeah. <laughs> Chris the possibilities are endless. Oh, I sure. put far too much thought into this. <laughs> uh, Mr. Ranger Saul, where, okay, where should people be looking uh, for your material on the internet there? We, we mentioned at the top of the show, but uh, just there, other places, where, where can they follow you to see what's uh, the latest with your uh, endeavors? Well, as I said, most most Fridays, not everyone, but most Fridays, I hope this, I hope tomorrow, because I did send it in earlier today, I have my column, The Laws of Ass, at comicmix.com. Okay. I have a Facebook page. Um, my handle on Facebook is Lawgiver Bob. Oh, that's a great name. I love <laughs> I don't, that. I don't, uh, I don't post much on Facebook, uh, but, but, but what I post is usually pithy and groan-worthy. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> As it should we should be. have you do for the Roddy McDowell episode. That would have been Facebook good. Name. Lawgiver Bob. Facebook I do this, needs more of that. I also do it on Twitter where my handle is Lawgiver Bob. Okay. Because, it, because every day I post a really bad pun. <laughs> <laughs> good. Again, is there ever a good pun? Yes, there are. There are many, many good puns. Yes. <laughs> because they are like, like, like a good pun. Even if it's a bad pun. They're like, ah, but then you think like, Oh, actually, okay, that works. Yes, and then you then you kick yourself for like, ah, I wish I thought of that. Most of the time. So, okay, great. Uh, John, what do you have coming up? Uh, let's see. When is this going to come out? This will be October, right? Um, no, actually, uh, two weeks. So it's about end late, late, uh, late uh, September here. Well, let's do this. Uh, every year, of course, I edit and contribute to a Halloween right. anthology yes. called Boo Halloween Stories and Boo Halloween Stories. First off, is now its own publishing company. Oh. Uh, number two, uh, the 2017 issue should be up and available for pre-order uh, as a digital exclusive on Comixology.com. 99 cents for it's going to be something like 65 pages, which is an amazing deal. Wow, nice. And Every year, I just went back and I reread everything that we've ever published, and I cannot believe that I have been able to uh, lasso the type of talent I have, considering what a fucking boob I am. Oh, so uh, I continue to like your first story and your second story. Actually, with Kelly, are both astonishing. Oh, thanks. But and anyway, the third so, was Manning. But anyway, that's another eh, one. That eh, one's, I, I just eh, say that was my favorite. The one with Manning was my favorite. The uh, Christmas one. In the bar yeah. with the monsters. I think it's, that's my it, favorite one of those that I ever did. Uh, but anyway, so that should now be available on Comixology. I would love for you to check it out. Uh, you can always visit my website at calamityjohn.com or calamityjohnsave.us to get links to this and other projects I'm working on. But right now, that's it. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Guy, uh, uh, Jim, and Bob. Thank you very much for doing this. It, it was nice, especially uh, Bob, to actually have 
that sort of real legal insight into whether or not uh, some of this Columbo stuff was complete and other bullshit. <laughs> some of it is because it's, you know, it's, it's a murder TV show. But then to actually find out that, well, no, this actually would have held up because he's not a complete incompetent boob, according to the writers. Hmm. So, yeah, no, that was good. So thank you. You're good. You guys want to have a special episode with just Bob going through them, saying, you know, Robert Cole would have gotten away with killing the football owner. So what? He wasn't in the room. As as, as we get closer to the end, I I, I don't want to put you on the spot, Bob, but it would be neat to have you in to do some sort of special episode like that where we just pick a few and just say, like, how would this have gone? Or is this complete nonsense or not? Uh, So I don't know if you'd be up for that, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll contact you about that in the future if that's okay. That would be fine. Uh, give give me warning because I'd have to I'd have to rewatch some of these up. Ep- oh no, this this would be this would be like in a couple months or so, so or even further on. So don't worry. It's it's yeah no yeah but no I think that would be a, that would be a very fun episode to do. Uh, well, if you want to listen to other episodes, or just one more thing, you can go to our website jmtpodcast.com. They're all up there, or just search for just one more thing uh, in your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, if you like the program, please leave a review. Uh, I won't say negative. Let's say uh, middle to positive, so it's not to put too much pressure on you. It kind of helps throw listings in there, so why not throw throw a couple couple stars or so there and say like, "Hey, these guys didn't suck." We'd be eternally grateful for that. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're always posting and responding. To folks posting about uh, Columbo on there. It's JMT Podcast. And as John mentioned earlier, we've got a Tumblr uh, where he posts uh, lots of great screen caps, his further thoughts about the episodes, and also. Uh, just other sort of ephemera and Columbo-rated stuff we find around the internet. That's JMT Podcast on Tumblr. Uh, if you'd like to write us a letter, tell us how we're doing. Uh, we like those too. We'll read them on the air. On the air. The fake internet radio air. Uh, it's <laughs> Columbo at thecitydesk.net. Uh, we like getting those and hearing from you folks. Uh, last show for this time around. I'm RJ White. I'm John Morris. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one. Oh, listen, just one more thing. Did she ask where the body was? No. I didn't think so. Oh, listen, one more thing, Mr. Carlson. She didn't uh, ask how her husband was killed, did she? No. That's what I thought. All right, Lieutenant, what's bothering you now? No, nothing. nothing. No, come on. Something's bothering you. I was just that up until now, you know, she was very cool and she was very composed. And she suddenly fell apart in front of other people. So you think so strange about that? No. Convenient, maybe? Convenient? Look, Colombo, if you think she had something to do with the kidnapping, just come out and say so. Look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to upset you. You asked me what was bothering me, and I told you. Let's understand this one thing. If you start harassing this woman, I'm going to take it upstairs. Uh, just one minute, uh, Mr. Carlson. You see, it's like this. This is not just a kidnapping. This is a murder now. And I kind of figure that's my department. I'll see you around.